Good morning. It's great to see everybody this morning. If you're visiting with us, we're honored by your presence. You can help us out a little by filling out the, following the instructions on the screen behind me and giving us a record of your presence here. We're very honored by your, your presence and glad that you've chosen to be with us this morning. This is the fourth Sunday of January, which means tonight we'll be back at five for questions and answers. So I want to encourage you to be getting your questions together. There is a box in the foyer that you can put your questions in if you have them ahead of time. Or if you want to come tonight and just uh, text them in live, we answer the questions as we go. And so I look forward to having a lot of questions to answer this evening. I already have had some turned in and they look very interesting. It's always a great time, a Bible study together. I want to wrap up a series we started at the beginning of the year on transformation. This morning we're talking about transformation through renewal from Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Uh, at the beginning of the year, we announced that our goal for 2024 is individual transformation. There's a few commitment cards on the Welcome Center in the back that might help you with that. We challenged everybody to pick three to five goals to work on this year as you transform individually, knowing that as a group we grow when we individually are changed in the right direction. So I hope you're working on that, whether it's improving your Bible study habits or your prayer habits or working on attitudes or any other things that you might be doing, maybe trying to do better in personal evangelism, inviting friends to church, having Bible studies, those kinds of things. I challenge all of you to do that and we'll work together throughout the year to encourage one another and lift one another up to transformation. But we're going to conclude the, the series on Romans 12, 1 and 2 this morning with this study of renewal and how it can be a, a way to transform. Just to kind of review a little bit, we talked in the first place about this concept of living sacrifices. Paul says, present your bodies as living sacrifices. Daily commitment to the Lord, putting Him first above all things. But the problem with living sacrifices, someone has said, is they keep crawling off the altar. And so verse 2 of Romans chapter 12 tells us how to stay on the altar. First of all, don't be conformed to this world. That's what we talked about last week. This morning we're going to talk about the second part of that. The second way you stay on the altar is you're transformed through the renewal of your mind. And so here's where we want to start this morning with this idea. Your mind is the matter. Your mind is the matter. Now, uh, people often say mind over matter. You've heard that expression before. And what they mean is sometimes your body is being challenged, your physical circumstances are being challenged, you have physical obstacles in your way, and so you summon all the energies of your mind to overpower the matter. Maybe athletes use that to push themselves beyond their previous limits or people who are facing physical obstacles in their life. They say mind over matter. And I appreciate that sentiment and I think that's good. But the idea here goes beyond that. It's not just mind over matter. It's your mind is the matter. Your mind is the heart, the essence of who you are. And it, if you learn to renew it and change it in the right direction, your whole life is going to change. What does 
Paul mean when he uses the word mind in Romans chapter 12? Let's talk about this. The Bible uses this term in a lot of different ways, all of them having to do with the essence of who you are, your internal being. One way is in terms of the intellect or the understanding, your thoughts, your thinking life. The Bible approaches Christianity as a thinking religion. And it's sad to me that I hear professing Christians sometimes challenge intellectualism and they engage in this anti-intellectual kind of debate and saying that, you know, Christians shouldn't be pursuing education. They shouldn't be reading certain books. They should fear certain ideas and not challenge their thoughts in any way. That's not the way the Bible approaches religion. The Bible is a thinking religion. It encourages thoughts. It encourages debate. It encourages healthy arguments in order to brace up and shore up the cause of Jesus Christ. For example, in John chapter 6, Jesus says this in verses 44 and 45. He says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And then he says, And I will raise him up on the last day. He says, It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Now look at what he's saying. He's saying no one comes to uh, me unless the Father draws him. A lot of people are very interested in being drawn by the Father, and they might read into that some kind of miraculous idea. But Jesus goes on to explain that everyone who has heard and learned from the Father, who has been taught by God, he is coming to me. So being drawn by the Father is to hear Him, to learn from Him, to be taught by Him through His Word. It's teaching that brings us close to Jesus Christ. Another good passage to look at is 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3-5, through 5, where Paul tell, tells us how he waged war as a Christian. And he says, we, Though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. He says, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Paul's war was a war of words. It was a war of ideas. It was a war of teaching. It was the, a war where he engaged the enemy with the word of God. That's the point that he's making there. And it's because the mind is so important. You change the mind, you change the person. And the world knows this if we don't. That's why it's working so hard on words and on teachings and on communication. Just think about what it's done with words. For example, abortion, which is murder, has been changed to reproductive health. You hear this kind of thing all the time. What are they doing? They're trying to change your thoughts about sin by changing the words and expressing it in a different way. Um, fornication, which includes homosexual behavior and adultery and premarital sex, that's been changed to the idea of loving who you want to love. It's just love. Why do Christians have so much problem with love? What are they doing? They're using words 
against the cause of Christ. The world knows this if we don't. So we've got to learn how powerful the mind is when it comes to the idea of the intellect and understanding. But the Bible also talks about the mind in terms of the location of spiritual development. I think sometimes we equate spiritual development with physical development. In physical development, you go to the gym, you exercise, you control your diet, etc. And with spiritual development, we think it's all about doing this and doing that. And yes, it is, but the actions have to flow from the heart. And so Paul says things like Romans 7, 23, I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind. The law of his mind is where the spiritual development is taking place. If you want to change your actions, you've got to change your mind. Again, the Bible also thinks of the mind in terms of a, a way of looking, a way of thinking, your attitude, your mindset, your worldview. Just your, your general frame of mind, that's another way it looks at it. A good example of this is Ephesians 4, where he talks about first the mindset of the wicked. Verse 17, they were walking in the futility of their minds. And then verse 18, he calls them darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They were unable to be reasonable because of their hardness of heart, their self-centeredness, their callousness. And so reason and rationality wasn't able to penetrate. They had the wrong worldview. They didn't believe in the existence of the true and living God. They didn't believe in anything but an, a natural world. And today, if you have an atheistic point of view or an agnostic point of view, whatever it is, or a non-Christian point of view, you're going to live a very different life than if you really adopt the truth that Christ came to earth, died for our sins, was raised in glory, and ascended to the right hand of God on high. And so we've got to have the proper worldview. Later on in Ephesians 4, he says in verse 20, this is not how you learned Christ, talking about the mind again, and he encourages them to adopt new attitudes in their minds, verse 23. So here's the point, if you want to put it simply, your mind is the matter, you are what you think. Proverbs 23, verse 7, as he thinks in his heart, so is he. Your happiness, your well-being, the quality of your life, all of it has to do, it starts with what's going on in your mind, internally. And your life comes from inside out. You can't say this of the animals. In the animal kingdom, they operate on instinct. They're not thinking creatures. Their success depends on physical strength, luck, happenstance, right place, right time, wrong place, wrong time. That's the animal kingdom. Human beings... They're made by their minds and what's going on inside of them. Blaise Pascal said this. He was a thinking man, made a lot of advancements in science. He said, man is only a reed, the most feeble thing in nature, but he is a thinking reed. The entire universe does not need to arm itself in order to crush him. A vapor, a drop of water suffices to kill him. But if the universe should crush him, man would still be more noble than that which kills him, because he knows the advantage the universe has over him and knows that he must die while the universe knows nothing of this. And then he says this statement. He said, I pushed the wrong button there. He says, our whole dignity consists in thinking. 
That's what separates us from the animals, is our mind. So don't underestimate the mind. The mind is the matter. The mind is where it really happens, where your spiritual development takes place. Number two, know this. The mind has to be renewed. Your mind is where it all happens, and your mind is a limited resource. It's like a battery that has to be recharged. It gets weak. It has to be renewed. And this is because it's being attacked all the time. Let's think about some of the attacks that occur on a daily basis on our minds. First of all, there's just basic fatigue. Some people run marathons with their minds. Other people are sprinters. I'm a, I'm a marathon man by, by nature. I want to just sit down and do the thinking that I've got to do all in one sitting, no breaks, get it over with, and then go on to the next thing. Uh, that's how I went through college. I would cram before exams. I'd stay up all night if I had to, to get ready for the exam or to write the paper. I turn the paper in, I take the test, and I might do really well on the test, but you know what happens when I walk out of the classroom? I forget just about everything that I studied. When it comes to the brain, it's always a sprinter. It's not really a marathon runner. We have to learn that. If you really want to grow and learn mentally, you need to do it in short bursts, knowing that the mind needs rest and it needs recovery. The batteries have to be recharged. That's how God made us. That's the way it works. One of the best pieces of advice that uh, a university professor ever gave me is one of my teachers said, study little and often. Little and often. In other words, study a little bit, take breaks, go back and study again. A lot of research has been done on this matter and has found this to be true. And this is the nature of our mind. It grows tired. Fatigue is a natural attack on our mind every day. But there's more. We're also facing temptation on a daily basis. Jesus said in Matthew 27, 41, The spirit is willing, but the flesh is is weak. So put your mind in the category of the flesh here. The, the spirit is willing, but your mind is weak. And so you need a lot of prayer and you need a lot of forgiveness in order to continue along. Just because you become a Christian doesn't mean that you're no longer plagued by sin. You continue to face temptation. John said, if we say we have no sin, we uh, make him a liar and we deceive ourselves. 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 through 10. We've got to understand that there's temptation out there and it's attacking our mind and we have to, to work hard to fight it. Sanctification, the process of being holy, is a process, not a one-time act. You're not done when you come out of the waters of baptism. That's where the work begins. And you continue to face temptation. It's an attack on the mind because, as we said, the mind is where everything comes from. Number three, another attack is conflicting views. Christians have always faced conflict. We've always been confronted by world religions or atheistic philosophies. But in the age of the Internet, where everything is given an unvetted voice, the attacks are more than ever before. We are being confronted with conflicting views at an alarming rate. And our young people are having to face this 
while they're still forming their own faith, while they're still growing at a very impressionable age, and it's tough. And so that's another reason why we require renewal. Then there's hurt. Nothing changes your mind faster than the betrayal of others and hurt. When somebody wrongs you, you're tempted to think, what's the point? What's the point of trying to do what's right? What's the point of trying to follow God when I get attacked for doing the right thing? We're tempted to think that, and we know that's the wrong way to think, but you can't help it. It's part of the weakness of our flesh. We just want to give up sometimes because we don't like being hurt. You've heard the term blind rage. You know, somebody reacts in blind rage whenever they're hurt or wronged. What does that mean except that you cease to think and you give way to your impulses and full vent to your anger? That's what blind rage is. The problem is we often make the mistake of lumping God in with His imperfect people. Just because someone who's supposed to be acting like a Christian does wrong to us, that doesn't mean that God has done wrong to us. We have to make a distinction between Him and His people. God is hurt, He is grieved when we don't behave the way that we're supposed to. He doesn't justify the sinful actions of others. But hurt can attack our minds. Finally, there's shame. You know, if we don't repent after we sin, our minds could be clouded by shame. Guilt is a heavy burden to bear. There's a fog that goes along with it, and it will affect our spiritual lives. God has given us a way to repent, confess our sins, be washed clean, walk righteously before Him. But if we don't pay attention to that, and we just allow ourselves to be haunted by guilt... That can affect our minds as well. Renewal is a process involving repentance and confession. So look at all these things. You're confronted by this on a daily basis. Fatigue, temptation, conflicting views, hurt, shame. This is a barrage on your mind on a daily basis. And so that should drive home the need for renewal. Now, the Bible talks about renewal all the time. You can call it the lost art of Christianity because while the Bible emphasizes it, we don't talk about it nearly enough. In addition to what Paul says in Romans 12, where he says, Be transformed by the renewal of your minds, there are many other passages that talk about this. For example, look at 2 Corinthians 4.16. We do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. Then you also have Ephesians 4.23. Be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Again, the mental renewal. And then I'll add to that Colossians 3.10, put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Be renewed. You are being renewed over and over and over again. You see the Bible emphasizing this, this discipline that we don't give much attention to. We neglect it. We think about becoming a Christian, being baptized. We talk about conversion. We work hard on personal evangelism. We might study with a person for years and pray for that person to be changed at conversion, and then we drop it off. We forget about it. We act like baptism fixes everything. That's where it begins. It's not where it ends. Renewal should be a part of every one of our daily lives. And an implication is that two things are happening in our lives as we go about our days. 
two things, thinking and renewed thinking. Thinking is learning from God's Word what His will is for our lives. So thinking involves studying God's Word, growing in our knowledge, reading the Word of God, attending Bible classes, uh, listening to teachers, getting advice from people who know the Word. That's your thinking. Renewed thinking is when your mind is being attacked, whether it's fatigue or temptation or shame from sin or hurt or conflicting views, you return to what you've been thought and you remember it. Thinking happens more than renewed thinking. They be, both need to be going on all the time because, as we said, the mind is being attacked. And so, number one, the mind is the matter, but number two, your mind has to be renewed. Now, here's the third point I want to make this morning. Through transformation by the renewal of your mind, we discover the will of God. I'll talk about how that process works in a minute. But first of all, let me show you what Paul says about the will of God in Romans 12, 2. He says, the will of God is good and acceptable and perfect. Good has to do with that which is of high quality and worth. That which is of a high value in life. That's what good is. That which is esteemed beautiful and wonderful. Acceptable here has to do with what pleases God. When sacrifices were done appropriately in the Old Testament, they were called well-pleasing and acceptable to God. Um, Philip's translation says, it meets all his demands. That's acceptable. The will of God is also called perfect. And yes, the will of God is flawless, perfect in that sense, but the meaning here is more complete, leaving out nothing. And uh, the idea of spiritual maturity is involved as well. So the gift of transformation by renewal is knowing this, that which is good and acceptable and perfect, the will of God. Don't you want this in your life, that which is good and acceptable and perfect? You want the will of God. The will of God is a blessing to know. Too often it's looked at as something that confines us and restricts our activities and keeps us from doing what we want to do. The will of God's getting in the way of my life. No, the will of God is bringing you that which is good and acceptable and perfect. By paying attention to your mind, by thinking and rethinking and having this dance between the two every day of your life, you're going to be able to come to an understanding of God's will. The way Paul puts that in Romans 12 too is he says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind that by testing you may discern the will of God. That's the ESV. The New American Standard Version is closer to the original saying that through transformation we may prove the will of God. The language Paul's using here on how we get to the word of God is the language of um, testing metal or refining ore through a fiery cauldron. When it's melted down and is put through the heat, it comes out stronger than before. Through this process of thinking and rethinking, transforming our mind, spiritual growth internally from the inside out, 
we come closer and closer and closer to what is good and acceptable and perfect, what is the will of God. It's a process, as I said before, of daily transformation. So have you ever found yourself asking, I wish I knew what the Lord wanted me to do? Or um, is there a Bible verse for this or that? Some people may be asking questions tonight that don't have an exact, explicit answer in a book, chapter, and verse, but they feel like God should weigh in on this some way. Is there a Bible verse for that? Or what would Jesus do? We're asking that. What are we doing? We're reaching for that which is good and acceptable and perfect, the will of God. And the way to get there is not easy. It's through daily thinking and renewed thinking through this transformation that occurs gradually, almost imperceptibly. If we continue that life, we'll eventually get to the point where we become skilled in understanding the Word of God. I want to illustrate that by talking about Rick Warren's five levels of learning. I found this to be very helpful. He says learning is a process, it's a growth from knowledge to skill. Here are the five levels. It starts with knowledge. You know, God said, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Hosea chapter 4, verse 6. And uh, we need to read the Bible and get a basic understanding of God's Word. We need to pay attention to the fundamentals. We need to know the things their kids are taught at vacation Bible school. We need to attend Bible classes and get a deeper understanding. We need to read through our Bibles. Knowledge is so important, but knowledge is not where it ends because knowledge needs to be applied. So we go to a second level of learning, which is called perspective. Perspective is basically understanding not just the what, but the why. Now I know what God wants for me, and I understand Him enough to know why He wants that for me. I know Him as well as I know His Word. I am getting to understand him to the point where I'm not angry at his commandments or frustrated by his commandments. I might struggle to fulfill them, but I know him well enough that I desire to do them. You gain perspective as you grow closer to God and grow in your maturity. The third level is conviction. Once you get that perspective and you see it from God's point of view, you become convicted. Convicted means you will make a stand for it. You'll make sacrifices for truth. You will suffer reproach, persecution. You you will not be afraid of that. You will not have doubts. That's conviction. Conviction leads to character. Once you have conviction, you start practicing it. It's called character. The sum total of our habits are character. So we can't say we have the character of honesty unless we're habitually honest. You can't say you have the character of kindness unless you're habitually kind, right? So that's all character is, is something that you do over and over and over and over again. You won't get there without conviction, but conviction leads to character. Eventually, you want to get to the point of skill. And this is what Romans 12, 1 and 2 is driving at. If you continue to think and renew your thinking... That process is going to lead you from knowledge to skill. You'll become one who is skilled at knowing God's will in every situation. 
Now, wouldn't that be a wonderful thing to know what God wants you to do in each and every situation you find yourself in? Ecclesiastes chapter 10, verse 10 says, If the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength. But wisdom, which is skill in the NIV, helps one to succeed. I was talking to Jimmy Pullum the other day, and he was telling me that his chainsaw was dull, and he was cutting his logs in a curve. He said, I had to get my chain sharpened. And I said, oh, that's why I cut logs that way. I didn't realize that what was going on with me. And this is what Ecclesiastes 10.10 is talking about. If you don't sharpen your axe, if you don't sharpen your saw, you're going to have to work a lot harder. But if you sharpen your tools, in other words, if you acquire skill through thinking and renewed thinking, you're going to, God's will is going to be second nature for you. You're going to be the person people come to for answers. When people's world falls apart, they're going to come to you and they're going to want to know, what do I do next? You're going to be the person that people ask to pray for them. You're going to know what to do. And sometimes it's going to be hard. The answers are going to be very difficult. It'll be a challenge, but you'll know. And that question, what would Jesus do? The answer will pop up quickly without you even having to think about it. Not because you have some special gift that's not available to others, but because you've spent time in the Word so that you can grow from knowledge to perspective, from perspective to conviction, from conviction to habits that create character, and from character to skill. You are what you think. And if you don't like who you are, the way that you change is you change your thinking. In other words, be renewed, be transformed by the renewal of your minds. You have to do more than just read a book. You have to do more than just read the Bible to change. You have to think and rethink. And through thinking and renewed thinking, you're going to grow from knowledge to skill. Now Paul says, if you want to stay on the altar, you don't need to be conformed to the world. And that's true. Conformity in that sense is bad. But the goal is conformity to the image of Christ. Romans 8, 29. That's the goal. So not all conformity is bad. All of this is about conforming to the image of Christ. That's who we're transformed into day after day after day. We're here together today to help one another do that. We're going to sing an invitation song, and we want to encourage you if you need prayer this morning, if you're ready to obey Christ, we want to encourage you to start that transformation process today. Think and renew your thinking, and do it now as we stand together and as we sing.